Amen. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for everything you're doing in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we thank you for the way you're leading us. We thank you for what you're doing. Lord, we just continue to give you the plan, the authority to work it all out in your timing and your love and your will. Lord, we just pray that you would allow us to walk in love and compassion and mercy and do the things that you would have us to do, nothing more, nothing less. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to speak this morning about worshiping God and worshiping God specifically the way he instructs us to, and that is in spirit and in truth. We talk about worshiping God a lot in churches, in this church and in other churches. And worshiping God is a very frequent topic and something that is done frequently and freely. Today I want to talk about worship, what it means for us, and what it means for God. And to begin with, I want to ask a few questions regarding worship to get us thinking about it. First of all, what is the purpose of worship? Is worship always singing and praise, or can worship be in other aspects of our life? Is there a right way and a wrong way to worship? Does God view worship the same way we view worship? Are there various forms of worship? And does God receive all forms, or is he looking for a select one? Now that we have some questions in our mind, let's look to God's word, and let's find out what the Lord tells us about worship. We see very at the beginning, if you go back to Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, this is the first time that the word worship is brought up and mentioned in the scriptures. And it's mentioned here where Abraham and Isaac were going up to the mountain to worship the Lord. It says, Abraham, he said to his servants, stay here with a donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, I think Isaac and Abraham had a little different viewpoint of what worship was going to be here. Abraham's view of worship was to be sacrificing his son. Abraham's reason for going up to the mountain that day was to sacrifice Isaac as a form of worship. See, worship requires sacrifice. Isaac had no idea what his father was going to do, and Isaac was probably a man in his teens, maybe older. He was not a young boy. He was old enough to carry the wood, old enough to carry the, the, the supplies. And as they, got, as they were on their way up the mountain, he said, Dad, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, the Lord will provide. Wouldn't that be a tough thing to tell your son when you had intention to, to tie him up and lay him on the altar and to slay him because the Lord required that? That's worship. That's the way God defined worship from the very beginning. He didn't define it as, let's turn to page 110 in our hymn book and sing a song. He defined it as sacrifice. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The definition of worship is to adore, to have great adoration, great devotion, to treat somebody or something as deity, to love somebody deeply. There was not one word when I looked up the word definition or the definition of worship that ever said singing at all. Worship has nothing to do with singing. It has everything to do with a life of adoration, a life of devotion, a life of love, a life of action. We are to have worship in a sense of adoration in our jobs, in the fact that we are thankful that we have a job. Or to, as we treat our family in a sense of love, 
that we have a family. And every act that we do, everything we do in our life needs to be surrounded and sandwiched in with worship, adoration, thanksgiving to God. Worship is clearly defined more than just simply singing a few songs. We worship God in all aspects of our life. And it's not just limited to Sunday mornings. Worship is a sacrifice. Now, how do we render worship to God? If we look back at one of the earliest examples of God having various people offer up various forms of worship, we will see that there are some areas of worship that God accepts and that God doesn't accept. And I know that we have a problem with that. I know that our society, our culture has a, has a problem when we say God doesn't accept some things or that there are certain ways to do some things, that our natural man rises up and says, well, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, no matter what God says. I'm going to do it my way, and God better receive it. Well, let me just say this morning that God has his ways, and God is our God, and God is worthy and righteous and holy, and we need to come to God on God's terms. Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 2, it talks about Cain and Abel. This is the first time in the word that's given that we have a situation where there is different sacrifices given and one is worthy to be received and one is not. Let's read that. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. He did not look with favor on the offering that Cain brought. So the fact that God looks at one sacrifice with favor and the other without favor makes the obvious statement that God has certain expectations to be met in order to please him. It's not the effort, it's the act of obedience and doing the right thing that attracts God's attention. It's doing the right thing. Now some may say, as long as I'm serious about whatever I'm doing, then God will honor my actions. Whatever, as long as I'm serious about it, then God will honor that. But let me tell you what the words, God's word says. We can only really go back to what God's word says, what he thinks about that kind of a statement. We, like in our own definitions of Christianity, we like to define things that fit our little strategy. But the Lord gives us clearly some ways to worship the Lord. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, it says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. This is, the Lord, this is the word of the Lord. God is spirit and his worships can worship in spirit and in truth. Or might be able to. Or if they feel like it. No, listen to what the word says. God is spirit and his worshipers must. What does the word must mean? Must. Worship 
and spirit and truth. So God is pretty clear here, right? He's pretty clear in his word that he is seeking certain kinds of worshipers. People that worship in spirit and people that worship in truth. Can I worship in untruth? Why? Because the word says you worship in truth. All right? So let's not argue with the word. The word says we worship in truth. Can I worship in partial truth? Can I worship in my idea of truth? No. The word says we worship in spirit and in truth. So before we can go much further, let's understand more about ourselves. What is it? How did God make me and you so that we can do that? It's so important that we recognize that when God gives us an instruction, that he gives us with an instruction with the ability to carry it out. He would never ask us to do something we couldn't do. That wouldn't make any sense. If God said, I'm going to require you to worship in spirit and in truth, that he must be able to give us the ability to do that. Correct? Would you ever tell your son or daughter to do something that you knew they couldn't do? No, you wouldn't do that. Could it be hard for them? Sure. Could it challenge them? Yes. Could it require discipline on their side? Yes. But could they do it? Yes. The answers are yes. God doesn't ask anything out of us that we cannot do, but it might require a little bit of work. And it might require a little bit of discipline. And it might require a little bit of sacrifice. But we can do it. So who am I? First Thessalonians says that we are made up of spirit, soul, and body. We're, we were created in, an, in a unique aspect from God. See, God created all things. He created the animals. He created the plants. He created animals with a body and a soul. But the unique aspect of men is that he created us with, us with a spirit. My dog doesn't have a spirit. My dog has a soul. He has a body. We as people have spirits. That's why man can worship God in spirit and in truth because he's given us a spirit. And it's our spirit man that worships God. But yet we have a body and we have a soul. And they're all important to have. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 23, it says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that word whole could be said whole spirit, whole soul, and whole body. He's not saying whole spirit, partial body whole spirit, partial soul. He's saying your whole being, body, soul, spirit, everything, must be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are three in one, just as the Trinity is three in one. It's so amazing. God created us in his image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three entities. He made us, body, soul, and spirit. Three entities very similar to the way God made himself, or God didn't make himself, the way God is. But God made us in his image, in his likeness. And Jesus, Jesus explains to us in the book of Mark that we're to love the Lord our God. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Well, that pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? 
I mean, there is no wiggle room in this statement here. He says that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. I don't see anything in here that says I can love him with partial. It's everything. Everything. So let's look at ourselves a little bit more. And let's start breaking it down a little bit. Our body is our physical person. It's the flesh we see and the flesh that we feel. Pretty basic here, isn't it? Our body's our body. We talked a little bit about it in Sunday school today. It's amazing how things line up. But Jesus talked to the body, and he was concerned about the body. We read in, chapter, in John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. It says, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus was talking about his body as a temple of God. His body was a temple of God. And Paul also tells us in Corinthians that we're also to be concerned about our body and, and who it belongs to and what we should be doing with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19-20 through 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We're to honor God with that body that he's created us with. And here's what's so amazing. Even though that our body is a temporary shell, it is going to return to the dust that it was made out of. When we die, our body is going to disintegrate. It's going to just go back to what it was. But here it is. God is so concerned about a temporary being, a temporary temple, that he wants us to be careful how we handle it. Amazing creation our body is. I mean, if you just take a minute and think about it, you could spend all day and many days thinking about how amazing our body is, the eyes, the ears, the fact that we can touch and smell and move and talk and, and just how that all comes together and how we can reason and, and all the things about our body. It's absolutely amazing how it is. God has every right to be concerned about such a great creation. What an amazing thing he's created is our body. He's got every right to be concerned how we deal with it and how we use it. So God is concerned and he wants us to know that we need to be concerned about how we treat our body because as we treat our body, we are treating the temple of the Lord and we are being then witnesses and, and examples to other people how they should treat their body because God is concerned about that. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. So God has a plan for your body. It's not yours. <laughs> it's not yours. We're just stewards of it. I can't do anything with my body but take care of it or not to take care of it. God's concerned with our bodies. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. There's that word, worship. We worship the Lord with our spirit, with our bodies. 
we worship the Lord by the how we handle and how we take care of our bodies. And that we don't let sin reign in our mortal body. We have a decision to make. We have a choice to make. Do we let sin reign in it or not? Obviously, the Lord says no. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And I don't know about you, but when I hear God calling my body a holy temple, a living sacrifice, it makes me want to rethink maybe the way I've been treating my body. Maybe I need to take my body a little bit more serious. Maybe I need to take care of this temple that God has made. He invested a lot in my body. And he has every right to be concerned about it. And therefore should I as well. That's a good word for us, isn't it? It's a good word for us. to Take care of your body. Don't let it go. Take care of it because it's a temple of the Lord. Now let's talk about the soul. What is the soul? The soul is the center, basically, of your universe. <laughs> it is who you are. It includes the mind, the will, and the emotions. When you look into a person's eyes, you are looking basically into their soul. And it's almost scary sometimes. When you look at a person that is really depressed or really down or ill, you know, you can just see almost a lifelike or a lifelessness in their eyes. Their eyes are kind of dull and gray and just almost like there's nothing there. Have you ever noticed that in people? That's because you're looking into their soul. But yet when you, hear, when you talk to a person that's happy, what are their eyes telling you? That their soul's happy. Their eyes brighten up and they have a little sparkle to them. There's ama it's amazing how God creates us in a way that we can see sometimes into our bodies. Our soul is, is who we are. It's the seat of our emotions. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 in the King James Version, it says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. The soul, which is made up of the mind, will, and emotions, is a part of mankind that needs to be changed. That's the part that needs to be changed. The soul needs to be changed in a man if we're going to be Christ-like. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. By the renewing of your mind, basically, remember, your mind is part of your soul. The renewing of your mind, the renewing of your soul must be regenerated if you're going to be able to worship God in spirit and truth. If you're going to have time with the Lord, if you're going to have a relationship with God, that we are no longer to conform to the pattern of the world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our life. The King James Version tells us in James chapter 1, 21, it says, Wherefore then, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Again, we have to change our soul. It has to be changed. The uh, NIV says that we can always understand a little bit better. It says, James 1.21, it says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planting in you which can save you. The word you there is really of this verse is the soul part of a man. It's the soul that needs to be changed and thus be saved. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and 24 through 24, it says, You were taught 
with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, again, as the mind and the soul are changed to the renewing process that we spoke of a little bit ago in Romans 12, it's the attitude of our minds that change. We put on a new self. We put on a new person. We put on a new attitude, a renewed attitude, and a rejuvenated and a regenerated holiness that allows us then, allows the spirit of man to live. Now, fine, let's talk about the thing that makes us different from all creation, and that is our spirit, the spirit man. That's the part of the man that will live forever. That's the part our spirit man will reside either in heaven or read in hell. That's the one that goes on. The spirit is the center of the heart of the man. It's really the, the heart. It's, it's where God communicates us to, through us in our heart or in our spirit. Proverbs 16:23 says, A wise man guides her heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. See, we think often that God speaks in our mind, but in reality, really, he speaks in our spirit. It typically will get to our mind because through our mind then comes our actions, comes what we do. And we can then know of a man, we can know then a man is truly of God, truly of a spirit man by watching his actions and by listening to his words. Words are very important. Actions are very important because that is the outward evidence of what's happening inside the man. Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 33, it says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, again, out of the overflow of the heart, that's the spirit of the man, out of the overflow of the spirit of the man, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that all men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Where do those words come from? They come from the heart. They come from the spirit man. So by your words, people know what kind of a man are you. Out of the overflow of the heart, out of the overflow of the spirit, so a man speaketh. You talk to a man long enough, and you'll know. Talk to a man long enough, and you'll know where his spirit's at. Words are very important. But God has really the heart of man the heart center of the man, the spirit of a man. Psalms 119. There's way too many verses to read in that one, but I picked out a few in Psalms 119 that just give us a few of the scriptures that talk about the spirit man and how concerned God is about the spirit man. And how we talked earlier about if God is going to require something of me, then he's going to provide me the way to do something. This is a good example of how the Lord creates the spirit man to live for him. Psalm 119, I'll just pick out a few scriptures, verses 1 through 2. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart or all their spirit. Verse 7, I will praise you then with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. Verses 9 through 10, how can a young man keep his way pure? Listen, how can a young man keep his way pure? That is a great question, isn't it? 
It's a great question for people. How do we keep our ways pure? Young man or old man? How do we keep our ways pure? The Lord's going to give us the answer. By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart or all my spirit. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I I might not sin against you. Wow. That's how a young man keeps his way pure. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. Again, I have set, this is the discipline side of things. This is the commitment side of things. I have set my heart, I have set my spirit on your laws. Verses 33 and 35, Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all of my heart. Direct me in the path of your, of your commands, for there, for there I find delight. That's the amazing part about being a Christian. The amazing part is that I can keep my ways pure and I can find delight. What a blessed way to walk through life. When I keep my ways pure, I find delight. I don't have to worry about guilty consciences. I don't have to worry about, about consequences of things that I've done wrong. I don't have to worry about those things because I've kept my heart pure. And now I don't have to worry about the problems that come with sin because I have kept my heart pure. That's a blessing. See, God never asks us to do something He doesn't give us the ability to do. He doesn't say keep your heart pure and then not give you the ability to do it. He does. It's just our choices. It's our level of commitment. All right, so now we have a better understanding of who and what we are. Let's go back to the topic of how do we worship God. We started off by saying in John 4, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. All right, now we've just said that God has made man with the spirit. Therefore, my spirit man can worship a spirit God. My dog can't worship God because he doesn't have spirit. But I have a spirit within me. Therefore, my man, my spiritual man, worships God in spirit. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created in the garden as a complete unit. They were completed, they were, they were created as body, soul, and spirit all together, and they were in unity all the time. Just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is in unity all the time. So was Adam and Eve. The problem happened. When they sinned, they broke man. When they sinned, the spirit man was broken away from the body and the soul. That's why we struggle so much with sin today. That's why our soul and our body and our spirit are constant turmoil because it was broken. God created us as a single unit. God created us all together, perfect, like the Holy Spirit, Father, and Son are perfect, all unity. But when man sinned, the penalty of sin is death. As Ken talked about today at the back of the book, all the wages of sin are, is death. When sin came in, death came in, and it broke the perfect unit that God created. And it's so important that we need to understand that. We must understand that. John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
two scriptures later in verse 10, it says, if we, have, if we claim we have not sinned, we make God or him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. John says in chapter 2, again, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. So we have to understand the nature of mankind. We, we're broken. We're broken and we must be fixed. It sounds pretty bleak, doesn't it? But God has to be very clear in his definition with us so that we can really understand our situation. God's not mad at us. God's not angry. He's just telling us clearly that his word instructs us because he loves us so much that we can't misunderstand his instructions to us. So how do we remedy the situation? Well, we do it by lining up our lives in the perfect will of God and we do it through the love of Jesus Christ. We do it through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2, the first two verses, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. He can fix us again. He can put us back together again. He is the atoning sacrifice. And thank God that Jesus did what he did. He's our way out. He forgives our sins. And then here's the proof that we know Jesus and his forgiveness is real in our life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. And then skipping down to verse 5, because I already read verse 4. If you could read that in your Bible, go back. I would ask you to do that. But if anyone obeys his word... God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Well, we can walk like Jesus did. It, we, we're not perfect, but we can walk as Jesus did. See, our society and our culture, don't, they just don't like the idea of having only one way to do anything. We're so used to having options. We really have a hard time when a God says there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And the world doesn't like that. The world throws up on that. The world comes and makes all kinds of excuses why that can't be. A loving God would never do that. A loving God would never throw me to hell. A loving God would never do that. And they make all kinds of excuses. But God says there is one way. There is one way to me, and that is through Jesus Christ, my son. And then he says very clearly that God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean to me then today? It means that if I am living a life, willfully living a life of sin, there is no truth in me. Therefore, God does not accept my worship. If I am living in a willful life of sin, if I am doing things that I know are wrong, we already talked about that God doesn't live in partial truths, right? He doesn't accept worship that isn't all truth. Therefore, I have a responsibility to myself to manage my body, my soul, make sure that I'm lined up with God's purposes, Make sure that I have Jesus in my life. Make sure that I've asked him to forgive me of my sin. And then I live every day with that 
command. And the, and the world doesn't like that. The world doesn't like to be told what to do. But I'll tell you, folks, you want delight in your life? You want fullness in your life? You want happiness in your life? Then line up according to God's word. Line up what he's telling you to do. And then, when spirit and in truth, when we can worship the Lord. And our worship isn't just in singing, as we're going to do in a few minutes as Jackie's coming. Our worship is in our life. Our worship is in our actions. Our worship is in our words. John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Wow. What a blessing. You have a heaviness in your heart this morning? Have you sinned recently? Yeah. Do you need, do you need forgiveness? Absolutely. We all need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. I pray every morning, the Lord, forgive me of my sins. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive me of my sins, and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. That is hope. That's blessing. That's life eternal. That is nothing to be shunned. That is nothing to look bad upon. That is a level of commitment and of dedication. Reflecting back the love of God back to Him through our commitment and through our confession. So this morning, if you would just close your eyes with me and just do a little self-examination of your own heart and life this morning. Where is Jesus in your life? Are you worshiping in spirit and truth this morning? Are there areas in your life that you just say, you know what, I'm struggling in this area. I'm not completely truthful in this area. There are some things that I haven't done right in this area. And therefore... I'm not surprised if God is not answering my prayer because I'm not taking care of the things I need to take care of. Now listen, folks, this does not mean we're perfect. This has nothing to do with perfection. This has everything to do with the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed on his cross for us. That's all it's about. Nothing to do with, oh, I can't live my life that good. Yes, you can. Yes, you can, because Jesus would never ask you to do something he's not going to give you the power to do. If he says live a pure life, you can live a pure life. But he does it. You do it through a forgiven heart. You don't do it through your own efforts. You don't do it through your own attempts. You do it through the love of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name. Lord, as we look at our hearts and look at our lives and we examine what the things are in our lives that we're putting our hands to or our thoughts to, Father, I pray that you would reveal to us every wicked way within us. Lord, that we would truthfully say that, yes, there is sin, because your word says if we say there is no sin, then we're making you out to be a liar. And Lord, I know you don't lie. So Lord, I pray that you would show that little area of untruth, that little area of deception that's in my life, the little area that I've let go, that I've said, oh, I can deal with that. I can, I can manage that over here. I'll just put that in that compartment of my heart. And I'll just manage that over there. But no, Lord, that's not what you require. You said that we have to love you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our body, with everything. So, Lord, help us to give you everything that we can then delight in your word. Amen. This morning, if you have, if you have anything in your heart that you need to address between you and Jesus, as every eye is closed and every head is bowed,
This is the time where it's just between you and Jesus. Just you and the Father. If you just want to raise your hand and say, Jesus, I need you to forgive this area. I have this little thing that I've been hiding over here. It's a little thing, Father. To me, it's a little thing. But Lord, it's just enough to break my relationship with you. It's just enough to hinder that truth that I can't really worship you in anymore because I have that little sin. If you have an area on that, would you just raise your hand and say, Father, it's me. Father, it's me. I see that hand. Thank you. Just be honest with yourself. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father. Lord Jesus, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that as we end the service today and we just think about who you are, what you are, Lord, we really do forgive, ask to be forgiven. We need to have you, Father, forgive us. Renew, rejuvenate us, Lord, regenerate us so that we can be holy vessels, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth, and that you will receive our worship, our actions, our life will be pleasing to you, that you will receive that. Father, for those that raised their hands this morning, I pray, Lord, that you forgive them. Forgive me, Lord, for my sin. Forgive us, Father. Make us pure before you. We give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I'm going to, I'm going to close the service. I'm going to dismiss. If you want to come up and pray, if you want to just come up and say, yeah, I raised my hand and I need to, I need to pray about this for a minute, I'll be up here to pray with you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, dismiss us as we go to our homes today. Bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.